Anybody love Jesus in the house? Amen. Wow, praise the Lord. Well, we're going to continue studying. By the way, this morning, today, is Pentecost Sunday. Are you aware of that? Pentecost Sunday. And uh, I can tell some of you are looking at me and saying, so? Uh, well, Pentecost literally means 50th. I mean, it's no big mystery. It's just a word that literally means 50th. And uh, in the Jewish tradition, it marks the 50th day from Passover forward. And on that day, they begin what they call the Feast of Weeks. Now, for us under the New Covenant, we talk about Pentecost. We think immediately of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. And he told his disciples and his followers before he left, don't leave Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. They left 40 days after Passover. Jesus left, ascended back to heaven. And about 120 of them, the followers of Christ, went into the upper room. There were above 500 that saw him when he ascended. But 380 didn't believe what he said and went home. But 120 of them followed what he said and waited together in the upper room. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen. They just knew that at some point uh, God was going to endue them with a special power from on high to minister the word to the world. And 10 days and nights they tarried. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, in other words, when that 50th day was there, you read it in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the first four verses. They were with one mind and one accord, and suddenly, don't you love the suddenlies in the Bible? And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, filled all the house where they were sitting, cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each of them, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Uh, they had slipped into that upper room very quietly. Hardly anybody in Jerusalem had a clue that they were there. But when the Holy Spirit fell on them, they kicked that door open and came down and hit the streets of Jerusalem and turned the world upside down. You won't find this on, uh, by listening or watching um, CBS or NBC or ABC or MSNBC or CNN or any of those news channels, but the Pentecostal experience as a movement right now in the earth is the fastest growing Christian movement, period. It's not ISIS. It's not Islam. It's Pentecostalism. It is a mighty force that's moving across this nation. And every minute that you're breathing air, Hundreds of people are being filled with the Holy Spirit somewhere in the, in the earth. And God is getting ready for a church without spot or wrinkle that he can come back for as a bride. Amen. How many of you are glad you have the experience today? Praise God. Amen. Give him praise. A great big praise to the Lord today. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. So we celebrate Pentecost today, and, and it's interesting that we are right now talking about the fruit of the Spirit that's listed in the book of Galatians, and I'm going to read that to you in just a minute. But before I do, let me say 
what we've been doing this year, all year since January, we've been tracking the same thing here. You're getting the same thing here that your kids are getting back in children's church. And so we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit, and they've been studying the fruit of the Spirit. But we had revival with Tommy Tenney, so there was one Sunday we missed. And then last Sunday I really felt directed to the Lord to bring a message in a, in a bit of a different direction. So this morning I'm going to catch us up by giving you three of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, so just buckle your seatbelt. I figure we'll be done by 2.30, 3 o'clock, something like that. No, seriously. If you'll give me about 20 minutes of your time, we're going to deal with three of the fruit of the Spirit. It's interesting when you study the fruit of the Spirit, they actually are listed in, in or they fall uh, very naturally into clusters of three. Uh, and they deal with different uh, areas. For example, the first three, love, joy, and peace, deal with our emotions. Somebody said, I don't believe in all that emotionalism. Well, let me tell you, you, you can't have the Holy Spirit without it touching your emotions. I mean, r- the first three fruit of the Spirit, let, put those up there if you will. Emotion uh, is love, joy, and peace. All three of those are emotions. Amen. They deal, with our, they deal with our emotion. The second three, and these are the three that I'm going to deal with today, deal with our relationships, how we get along with each other. And that's patience, kindness, and goodness. And then beginning next Sunday, we will do, be back on one per Sunday. And Pastor Reagan will be talking to you about uh, faithfulness. The last three deal with our attitude, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So... Um, Let's look at the book of Galatians chapter 5, and let's read. This is what it says, my text. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, I know you're, you're probably scratching your head and saying, I thought you said that the second three begin with patience. And you're reading from the New King James, and it says long-suffering. Well, the NIV uses the word forbearance. The King James Version and the New King James Version uses the word long-suffering. The American Standard uses the word patience. And all three of these words mean exactly the same uh, scripturally. They're used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. And the reason I cho- I'm choosing to use the word patience is because that's what they're using with your kids over there, because your kids are more familiar with the word patience than they are the word, for example, uh, long-suffering. I doubt any of you parents have said to your kids, you're, 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 you're trying me. My long-suffering is about to wear out. <laughs> you, you've probably never said that. You NIV fans, um, you probably never said to your kids, uh, uh, my, my forbearance is wearing thin. No. But, uh, but most of you parents at some point in your life have looked at your kids and say, my patience, <laughs> my patience is getting thin. You're, you're, you're on thin ice. You, be, you better watch. Anybody... Uh, I know all of y'all were perfect parents and had perfect kids and the 
And all that's a blessing, but I've, I've had my patience tried a time or two with my, I, li- I like, I like a, you may have heard about the guy who's praying, he's crying out. He said, God, I need patience and I want it right now. <laughs> that's our problem. <laughs> we want it right now. Listen, patience doesn't come right now. Patience has to be developed. It's a process. In fact, I would encourage you to be real careful about how you pray for patience. The Apostle James says, tribulation worketh patience. But then he said, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In other words, he said, when when the trials come, when the tribulations come, don't fight it, don't fret about it. Allow the good work of the Holy Spirit to achieve something in your life, and that will be patience. He, He will work through your hard times to make you a more patient person. And and if you'll allow that to develop in your life, then you will be perfect and entire wanting nothing. That doesn't mean you'll be without any more faults or failures. The word perfect there means mature. You will come to maturity. How many of you have lived long enough to know that you're more patient with your grandchildren than you were with your kids. Anybody like that? Well, let me tell you why that is. It's because the process has worked in your life over time. It takes time to become more patient. So we're going to look at patience this this morning. It's it's the opposite of being short-tempered or impatient. It means long-suffering or to suffer long. Now, what I'm going to do is just give you some examples here of patience. I'm going, to, I'm going to take you to a period of history in our world. I know that you think that this is the worst time in history, that mankind has never been more evil or wicked than they are right now. That's a, that's a misnomer. There was a time that was actually worse than what we're living in right now. Now, we're getting close to it because Jesus said that the end of time is going to get more and more like that time that God became so upset with mankind that he decided to destroy them from off the earth. So let me take you to an Old Testament character way back in the early chapters of Genesis by the name of Noah. Noah. And let's read from Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 to 8. This is so good. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, folks, that's bad. When God looks down from heaven and he says, when I take a look at the human race, they have stooped to such debauchery and such sin that it's all they think about all the time. That's bad, isn't it? And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. I love this eighth verse. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Don't tell me that you can't live right in the midst of a sinful, wicked world. Noah did. And he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
And can I say to you this morning, it will always be that way. If you'll stand your ground and determine to live right and serve God, it doesn't matter how bad it gets around you, God will meet you with special grace to make it through whatever you need. Amen? That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God we serve. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, and, and God gave a, a, a period of time uh, for them to repent. He, he told Noah, he said, I want you to build an ark. And you know the story of the ark. You can read it again in, in the early chapters of Genesis. He gave him the dimensions and so forth. And all that time that he was building the ark, he was preaching righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness. He was preaching, repent, get right with God. Flood's coming. He was out there building this boat on dry land. So it had everybody's curiosity up. Everybody's coming around to look to see what is this monstrosity of a building that you're building here. It took them a long time too. I mean, we're talking about years and years and years. This thing was a building and he was preaching to them all the time. And yet they rejected God, but God was long suffering towards them. He, he was patient with them, giving them an opportunity to repent. The other person comes out of the same era of time. In fact, he is connected with this and it's a guy named Methuselah. How many of you have heard the name Methuselah? Now, probably none of you named your kids that, but, but Methuselah, what's he known for? Oldest man that ever lived. Let me, let me read about him. Genesis chapter 5, verse 27. And so all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Now, you say, preacher, what's that got to do with the flood? Let me tell you what it has to do with the flood. According to Jewish historians... The prophetic attachment to the name Methuselah is when he is dead, it shall be sent. And if you study your genealogy, you will discover that the year that Methuselah died is the year the flood came. Now, um, let, let, me just, let me just throw this in about time. Uh, take a little sidetrack, but I'll get back to my message in just a minute. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden when man committed sin? And God had said to them, don't eat the fruit that's in the midst of the garden. He said, that you can eat everything else, but there's this one tree that God placed there. He said, don't eat of that. The day that you eat of that, you'll die. And, and uh, I, I hear a lot of people trying to make excuses for God and explain why that uh, I don't know what day they ate that fruit on, but let's say they ate it on Thursday, why they didn't die on Thursday. They would say it was the same day. No, 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 no. God looks at time much differently than you and I look at time. Let me tell you what a day is with the Lord. I'll take you to 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 and 9. I want you to look at this. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, be sure to get this. Peter said, don't forget this one thing. This is important. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So how does God get, we count time, we count a day in 24 hour periods. How does God count a day? Thousand years. Thousand years with God is a day. A day with God is a thousand years. God made Adam when he created him in his image and his likeness. 
His body was made to live forever. But because of sin, that was short-circuited. And God said, the day that you eat of this fruit is the day that you'll die. Now, most people say, well, they did die. They died spiritually. Yes, they did. But they also died physically that day. Because go back and check and see how long Adam lived. He didn't make it to a thousand years. Nobody else did. In fact, the closest anybody ever got to a thousand years was a guy named Methuselah. And the reason he lived so long, most people were dying off back then at about six, eight hundred years old. I mean, it was really old when you got to that. Some of them were dying younger than that. After the flood, about 120 years was about as long as they lived. And then later on, all the way down to about 70 years because of of, of a lot of things, genetically and sinfulness and, and all kind of stuff in, in our environment and our food source and water and so forth and so on. But, but nobody has ever lived, but Methuselah lived older than all of the rest. And let me, let me tell you why he lived that long. Because God is very patient. As angry as God was with man and his sinfulness, God just kept extending his time to get right. Noah's preaching the gospel. Enoch had preached the gospel. And Lachith had preached the gospel. And Methuselah had preached the gospel. And, and God just let, he let him keep living. He lived 100 years. He lived 200, 300, 400, 500, 6, 7, 8, 9, 969 years. Tell you how long the suffering of God is or the patience of God as he waits and gives man a, a chance to repent. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God is patient, aren't you? I'm thankful that God is patient. Let, let, me, read the, let me read the rest of this. It, when, when Peter gave us this, let, read it together. Let me go back and start over. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that the, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. That word literally means extraordinarily patient, not willing. He's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Who does God want to get saved? Everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's God's will that everybody gets saved. If you don't get saved, it's not God's fault. If you wake up in hell, don't blame God. And don't blame this preacher either, because I'm going to give you an opportunity to get saved before you leave here this morning. Amen? Because God wants you to get saved. God, God wants you to get saved. He wants you to be right. That's the will of God. That's the purpose of God. God's long-suffering. He waited long, 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 long. But he didn't make it to a year. Now, that's going to change one of these days. Praise the Lord. I don't believe it's going to be too long. Jesus is going to come back. We're about to reach that seventh day. That's a day of rest. That's when Jesus is going to come back to this earth, set up his earthly kingdom, and we're going to go into the millennial reign, which is a day. It's a thousand years, and man is finally going to live longer than one day, Brother Roger. We're going to live two days, three days, ten days, a hundred days, a million days. Amen. We're going to live forever with God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 21 and 9, in your patience, 
possess ye your soul. In other words, your mind, your will, and your emotions, your patience will control those. So allow patience to have its perfect work. And God is extraordinarily patient. So guess what that means? If you and I are going to be like our Heavenly Father, if we're going to be like God, if we're going to be Christian, if we're going to be Christ-like, we've, we've got to allow patience to develop in our lives. Let me move on to the next one. The next one's kindness. Let's define it first of all. Kindness is defined as sweetness in disposition, gentleness in dealing with others. Wow. I'm going to give you some scripture that may not be your favorite, and, and I'll have to admit to you it's not my favorite either, but it's in the Bible, <laughs> and it's good for us. Here's, here's, remember, we're talking about relationships here. We're supposed to be patient. We're also supposed to be kind. Look what Jesus said in Luke 6, 35 and 36. You ready? But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. How are we supposed to treat our enemies? With kindness. Wow. That's a revelation for some of you. Amen. <laughs> some of you still, you, there's parts of the law you don't like, but there's some of it you do like, you know, like that eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth stuff. <laughs> some people want to drag that into here treat people like they treat them. No, no, no. We're not supposed to treat people like they treat us. We're supposed to treat them like God treated us. And God was kind to us. God was merciful to us. We're supposed to be merciful to other people. Our enemies, we're supposed to be merciful to them. We're supposed to be kind to our enemies, not just people that like us, but people that don't like us. You're supposed to be kind to your in-laws and your outlaws and the family members you like and the family members that you struggle to get along with, the people at work that give you a hard time, the neighbor that's always getting in your way and, and being obnoxious. You're supposed to be kind to them. <laughs> Some of you are old enough, you remember an old country song, Try a Little Kindness. You remember that? Who was that? I think it was Glenn Campbell, wasn't it? Maybe. Try a Little Kindness. I like that. Try a Little Kindness. I, in fact, I really like that. I like it when it comes this way. I had a, I, I had, the, the other morning I got in my car and, and, and when I started it up, the little thing started flashing on my dashboard that told me that the air was, was down in, in my right rear tire. So uh, I I bought a brand new set of tires about a year ago, and I thought, well, what could be wrong? So I, I took it to, to Mr. Yance that I bought my tires from, and, and uh, the, the car that, that I drive has got a kind of sports wheel on it, so the tires are very expensive, especially if you buy Michelin's. And I like Michelin's, so 
I'd bought a, saved up and bought a new set of Michelin tires. And, and here I got one of them going bad on me. So I, I, I took it in there and, and they checked it out to see what was wrong. And I had a nail right in the side of it. And Mr. Yance told me, he said, uh, I'm sorry. He said, we can't repair that tire. If it had been in the flat part, we could retire it. Uh, we could repair it, but you can't repair it when it's on the kind of the, the beveled part there because they, it's illegal for us to repair it. We can't. We'll have to replace it. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I got, that, that car, that tire cost me over $200. And, um, and I, I, I was pretty sick of that. Just, just get a year's wear out of a tire and you got to buy another one. And, and I, I didn't want to mismatch everything. So um, they gave me the telephone number of customer service at Michelin's headquarters. I don't even remember where their headquarters is, but where their headquarters is. I mean, he got me to the top. And uh, I called these folks. How many of you have had experience with customer service lately? (laughs) Isn't isn't that a challenge sometimes? Customer service for a company right down the street, and they take you to a foreign country to somebody that can't even understand your English. Most of but it wasn't that way this time. I, I got this lady on the phone, and she was just as nice as she could be. And I told her, I said, ma'am, they told me at the dealer where I bought my tires that, that this is not covered, and I understand that. And I'm not even calling to complain. I, I, I really like Michelin tires. They're my favorite. I've had different kinds through the years, and I, I'm real proud of these tires. But, but I said, I got a nail in the side of that thing, and, and uh, I, I'm just kind of upset, and I just wanted to share that with you. And uh, she, she asked me a bunch of questions, just as nice as she could be. Asked me when I bought them. I wrote that down. She wrote that down. Asked me how many miles I had on my car then, how many miles I have on my car now. And and uh, it, she said, I'll call you back in a few minutes. I've got to verify this with the dealer. She called Mr. Yance, and he verified it. And she called me back in a few minutes, and she said, you know, Michelin's going to, we're going to pay half of that for you. We're, we're, we're going to send a check to the dealer and just pay that. And, uh, and she was just so kind and just so nice. I thought, man, I like this kindness thing. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it neat when you run into somebody that's kind? I, I, just, I just have a feeling that lady must have been a Christian. I wish I'd have thought to ask her. Because, yeah, listen, the world is supposed to receive that kind of attitude from you and me. Because we're holding up the name of Jesus. We're supposed to be kind. If the, if the Holy Spirit is allowed to do His work in our life, that will be produced in our life. We will become so kind that people will take notice that there's something different about us and the way we relate to people than there is with the world. Amen? Yeah. So let's, let's, try, let's try a little kindness. I love that. Now, that's the way we work with the Lord. But look at this scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 now, Jesus in the scripture I just te- quoted to you or gave you, read to you, he's telling us how we're supposed to relate to the world. Remember this about relationships. Paul tells us how we're supposed to relate in the church, in the body of Christ. But be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. That's the way we're supposed to act in church. 
That's the way we're supposed to act with the body of Christ. You say, well, preacher, why would that need to be in the Bible? I'll tell you why. Some of the meanest people in the world can go to church. (laughs) And the meanest spirits that I've ever run into in my life are religious spirits. I mean, those are the ones that crucified Jesus. You can get hurt in church. You can get seriously hurt in church. You can get wounded. You can get beat up. You can get banged around. Oh, man, you can, you can get hurt in church. We have people come to our church all the time, and, and, and when I talk with them, they, they, they say, Preacher, I'm here because I got hurt someplace. And, and they, a lot of them come here to get healed. And I thank the Lord for that. But I'm afraid sometimes... <laughs> That while we're helping some folks get healed that got hurt somewhere else, that we might hurt one another because we're human. Amen? So let, let me just say this to any of you this morning. That if, you've, if anybody has hurt your feelings at New Hope for any reason, any time, any place since you've been here, I offer you my apology and I say forgive us. If, if, we, if we've hurt one another, it's because we have not allowed the Holy Spirit to develop that gift of kind, that fruit of kindness to the point that it needs to be developed in our lives. Amen? In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, I forgive you. Just, just make sure. I want everybody in the house to be forgiven. <laughs> Man, it's going to be fun preaching the rest of this. Everybody in the house is forgiven. Isn't that great? We're supposed to treat one another that way in forbearance. In fact, look at Ephesians 4.32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, Paul didn't say that we're supposed to treat each other like we've been treated he, didn't say, he said, we're supposed to treat each other like God has treated us. And God has forgiven us for everything in Christ's sake, for Christ's sake. Because of what Jesus suffered, God forgave us for everything. So that means we're supposed to forgive everybody for everything. Amen? So we just need to walk in forgiveness. We need to walk in forgiveness. I tell the Lord, when I say, Lord, I receive your forgiveness, I say, Lord, I give forgiveness, I forgive everybody in Jesus' name, and now I receive your forgiveness. That's the way we're supposed to forgive. Let me get to the third one, and we will close. The third one is goodness. Now, when when I throw the word goodness out there, you're thinking of the English definition. But remember, this root word comes from the Greek, so let let me define it as the scripture would define it. Goodness is defined as zeal for truth and righteousness and a hatred for evil. So let's look and see how you can apply that. Goodness, goodness. 
Let's look first of all at a zeal for righteousness. I'm not going to read these scriptures because it's lengthy and it would take some time. But in Luke chapter 7, verses 37, all the way to 50, it's a long story. There's a story of a woman that came to Jesus while he was visiting in a home. And his disciples were there with him and a lot of other guests as well. And this lady came in with an alabaster box of ointment. And she broke it and poured it on Jesus. And the aroma filled the room. It was very expensive, very expensive. In fact, it probably cost the equivalent to a year's, one solid year of wages. Hard work for a year was the value of that ointment that she poured on Jesus. Jesus says she's done this for my burial in advance. But some of them got upset. In fact, some of the disciples got upset. People get upset in church sometimes. They got upset. And, and, and one of them, Judas in particular, he said, yeah, you could, we could have sold that and, and distributed it to the poor. He wasn't thinking about the poor. He was a thief. And he was upset because that money didn't come into the treasure. But what I'm saying to you is this woman is an example of goodness as the Bible gives it to us, as a fruit of the Spirit, it is a lavish expression of God's blessing to others. Remember, we're relating to each other. It lavished that on them. We, we, we ought to, you, know, you know what we ought to do here at New Hope? We ought to be so full of the Spirit of God and the fruit of the spirits ought to be manifesting in our lives to the to, to the degree that we're just trying to out nice each other all the time. We ought, we ought to always be trying to get one up on the other, just trying to be good to each other. I ought to be trying to out bless Brother Gaines, and Brother Gaines trying to out bless me, and I ought to be trying to out bless Brother Roger while Brother Roger's trying to out bless me. Amen. We ought to be trying to just out nice each other, just lavishly pour on our love and our expression and our encouragement. We ought to, we ought, when we run into each other, we ought to just be thrilled to see them because we know that they're going to give us a, an encouraging word. They're just going to lift us up in the Lord. Somebody give God some praise today. The Lord won't say to be that way. Amen. I'd like for people to say about new hopers, boy, those, those people will just bless you. Those people will pray for you. Those people encourage you. If you're down, they'll lift you up. They'll never criticize you. They'll never complain. They just, amen, <laughs> lavishly. Now, it also means that there is a, an, a hatred for evil. Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the challenge to balance these two, to balance our encouragement, our edification, and our blessing with our hatred for sin and evil. See, some people never learn that balance. Some churches get completely out of balance with that. Some church, I, I, I know of a minister several years ago. He's mightily used of God in his younger days, and, and he got off into some false doctrine, and he, 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 got, to, he got to believe in this, this idea that, 
that uh, God just loves everybody. doesn't matter what you've done. Uh, you're going to be saved anyway. You can just live any way you want to, and God will excuse it in the end. That's not true. It is true that God loves everybody. I read it to you a while ago. He's not willing that any should perish. That's his will. His will is that you get saved. But God is not going to excuse your sin. There is a hell, and it's still hot. And there is an eternity, and it's still long. And to be good to somebody, Brother Roger, to be good to the people you minister to under the bridge every week is to tell them about the lavish love of God and forgiveness and grace, but it's also to warn them that sin is a destructive force. And it's to tell them with love that sin is a great deal of the problem that gets people in trouble. That, that's, that's love. Listen, parents, when your kids were growing up, when your kids were growing up and, and you were warning them not to run out in the street or not to get away from you in a public place, and when they disobeyed, you, you took time to discipline them. You didn't do that because you didn't like your kids. You did that because you love your kids. In fact, people that don't love their kids are the ones that just turn them loose and just let them go. If you love your children, you'll take time to teach them. You'll take time to train them. You'll take time to love them. Listen, folks, as Christian people, as spirit-filled believers, we also have an obligation and responsibility not only to edify and encourage, but we also have a responsibility to warn and to share and to tell people the gospel of Jesus and to let them know that if they don't get right with God, they're going to meet the maker at judgment. And, and that's not going to go well if you walk over the top of the blood of Jesus, if you disregard the sacrifice of the Savior, if you, if you, if you in your own actions, just reject everything that Jesus did. You're warning them. That's goodness operating in your life. That's goodness that motivates you to warn and to share and to help. This morning, Brother George is in India and, 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 and preaching and helping our churches there to do this very thing. Why do we do that? It's the goodness of God that's manifested in our lives. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Glory to God. Let me, let me give you an example of that. Jesus went into the temple in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 and 13, and he cleansed the temple. He did that because they, he said, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. And so he took action. To bring the house of God back to what it should be. And we're supposed to live in such a way that we balance these issues together with love, but telling the truth. Amen. We're to love God. We're to hate evil. Stand with me, please, this morning, if you will. Let me just conclude with this question. Is your life motivated by the Holy Spirit? Now, here's the thing about what I'm preaching today and all, all through this series when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. 
the fruit of the Spirit will just naturally grow if you will allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in your heart and life. You don't have to strive. I don't want you to go out of here this morning and, and, and feel like next week, boy, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to have patience. I, I don't want you gritting your teeth and say, I'm going to try to be kind if it kills me. No. This is a fruit of the Spirit. My dad always raised a garden when I was a boy growing up. We had a big backyard. He had a big garden. And he'd always have several rows of corn. And he he didn't go out there and pull the shucks back to see how the corn was doing and and, and do something to the corn to make the fruit better or bigger. No, 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 no. He'd go out there and check the soil. If there was weeds growing in that garden, he'd get, he'd get me out there with a hoe, and we'd have, to, we'd have to get those weeds out. You know why? Because those weeds were sapping the nourishment out of the soil that needed to go to that corn. And so you dig up all that stuff, that, 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 that foliage that's, that's taking nutrients out of the ground. And when you do that, when you keep, when you keep it clean, then the, the vegetables get all that nourishment in the plant system. And the fruit just automatically is better and it's bigger. Some of you this morning are having trouble with the fruit of the Spirit. And that's why I'm saying, I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I don't want you to go out here straining to try to make the fruit better. That's not going to help a thing. What you need to do this morning is get all that stuff that's sapping the energy of the Holy Spirit out of your life. We've already talked about love, joy, and peace. <laughs> some, of you can't have, some of you can't have any joy because you got so much worry, fear. You just letting all, and, and it's just sapping the energy right out of your garden. And, and, and so that fruit can't develop in your life because of worry. You can't have the peace that God wants you to have. Here's what I believe about the fruit of the Spirit I believe that the fruit of the Spirit develops in our life in direct proportion to the way we allow the Holy Spirit to just operate in the garden of our lives. And take care of all of that stuff. Amen? Why do you say that? Well, because in this fifth chapter of Galatians, it's right in there. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what that tells me? It's not fighting the flesh all the time. Some people are fighting and fighting and fighting, trying to keep the flesh down. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Instead, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Just fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The more you fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the more you're in His presence, the more you allow Him to operate in your life, the more you yield to Him, the more you, the more you walk with Him and talk with Him. These fruit things will begin to just develop and grow in your life. Praise the Lord. My wife was sharing with me several weeks ago some ministry that she was listening to, the minister said, did you know that 
the Lord gives you a song, and if you will stop and think about it, the song that you wake up with on your mind in the morning is a song that the Holy Spirit has placed there. You ought to grab that song and just start praising the Lord with it. And I said to Faye, wow, I said, I've never thought about that. But almost every morning of my life, I wake up with a song. It's a different song almost every morning, but I wake up with a song. Sometimes it's a song I hadn't thought about in years, but that song will be running through my mind. Sometimes when I'm in the shower getting ready, that song's running through my mind. And, and I, I've, I've latched on to that. I'm having fun with that. Whatever that first song is that I hear in my spirit every morning. Because if you go to bed with the Spirit at night, you're thinking about God, you're praying, got Him on your mind, the Holy Spirit's working in your subconscious through the night. And that song that I wake up with, I try to grab onto that. And I say, Lord, this must be what you want this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise you with this one. And I'll, I'll start singing that out loud to the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, if you'll stay in his presence, it will just come natural to you. That person that cuts in on you on the road that normally would make you sit down on your horn, scream out at them, you just say, bless you, brother. Hope God will help you get over whatever is bothering you this morning and make you act like that. You, you, you'll just, you'll find it, it, it just will start coming natural for you to be kind to other people when the Holy Spirit's just churning in your heart. You'll just open your mouth and something good will come out of it. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So what I'm encouraging you to do is not, not to fight and work and all that, just yield and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and he'll help you with this. The prayer, it's prayer time. In fact, I've preached longer than I intended to. I want the prayer team to come real quick. Any staff members that we got in here, any, any um, group leaders or help us with prayer, board members, come and help us this morning, if you will. The altar's open. I mentioned to you a while ago, if you're unsaved, it's not God's will for you to die and go to hell. He wants you to be saved. He gave his son to die for your sins. Jesus gave his life so that you could be saved. Come on this morning, give your heart to Jesus. If you're away from God, come on back home. If you have needs of any kind, sick in body, have, have needs for your finances or whatever. And I believe that many of you would want to come this morning and just say, Holy Spirit, I want to yield myself more to you. I want you to begin to develop the fruit of the Spirit in my life to a greater degree than I've experienced before. If you'd like to come, just find a place to pray anywhere. You might want to just stand up here. You may want to kneel and pray. Just say, Lord, I come this morning. Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. I invite you to come today and minister and develop in me the fruit of the Spirit. God bless you as you pray.